Good morning, everyone. I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of Isaiah. You can use your hard copy of the Bible, or you can use your phone or your tablet. However you access God's Word, let's go to Isaiah chapter 58 uh, together this morning. Isaiah chapter 58. We're going to read the entire chapter together. And then my assignment this morning is to concentrate on verses 1 through 3. But let's pray together. Let's thank the Lord for a beautiful morning and this Lord's day. And let's ask uh, the Lord for his blessing upon our time in the word together. Father, we are grateful. <clears throat> we are grateful for this Lord's day. And Father, we're thankful that you've given us a place like this that we can gather and Father, we're thankful. While so many of our other brothers and sisters spread across the world right now are fearful and having to meet in hiding or perhaps being persecuted, God, we're able to meet in the open and we're able to proclaim Christ boldly without being persecuted. And so, Father, we want to say thank you for that. God, we say thank you for this month of missions this time where we focus and renew our focus and renew our hearts when it comes to the Great Commission. And Lord, we pray your blessings upon our time together in the word. Now, Father, we pray, God, that you speak mightily to us through your word. And even now, God, what Eric read at the beginning of the service, Lord, we pray that you begin to do that in our hearts, God. Make that the cry of our hearts that you would create within us a clean spirit. That you would renew a right spirit within us. So, Lord God, deal with us at the heart level this morning. Go beyond the external and the things that we often tend to only look at, but look deeper than that father we pray and work in our hearts god where we need it so we pray for your spirit's illumination this morning father we pray for your spirit's aid and help this morning god we pray that your spirit opens our heart to receive what's read and shared this morning and then father we know that we're not to only be a hearer of the word but also a doer so we god we pray for your spirit's help when it comes to applying the word this morning. God, we are in utter and complete dependence upon you. And so God, we thank you because that's a good place to be. So we rest in you, we are grateful in you and are filled with joy because of Christ this morning. And we pray that you do a great work in our hearts, Lord. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Well, if you've been around Everglades for a while, you know that every every May, we take the entire month of May to focus on missions. And so with today being the first Sunday in May, uh, that's what we're going to begin to do is we're going to begin to to focus or refocus on missions. If you're new to the life of Everglades, that's what we do every May. We refocus our our look at missions and the call that God has upon our lives. And so Pastor Jim has been praying and seeking the Lord's counsel and face on what he would have us to do as a church family this month. And so what he would like for us to do is 
take this entire month and study the book of Isaiah, specifically chapter 58. And so that's what we're going to be doing. My task is to is to really just focus on the first three verses uh, of this of this chapter. And so that's what I'm going to strive to do. Uh, I think it's important, though, that we remember a few things before we study the scripture. Uh, number one, we here at Everglades are very passionate about the gospel. It's our hope. Amen. It's our only hope. We have no other hope other than Christ and the good news that he brings. And so every Christian truly should be passionate about the gospel. In fact, I would submit to you that when we rightly understand the gospel, the fruit of that is you're passionate about missions. But we can take that one step further and say that it's an evidence of conversion even. Spurgeon said very clearly, if you have no concern for the salvation of others, then you've not been saved yourself. That's a powerful truth to kind of wade through and think about and and to refocus on it's a core value of our church it's important because it's a core value of scripture god is a missional god and so his people are a missional people and so my aim this morning very simply is to lay some foundational groundwork from the first three verses of isaiah 58 and in particular, what I want to concentrate on, there's so much that I wanted to share. As always, every preacher wants to preach Genesis to Revelation to you every time they preach. But I don't have time. But I want to focus on specifically the spiritual condition of the Southern Kingdom. And that's what we're going to really be looking at this morning, is the spiritual condition of the Southern Kingdom. Chimo, can you hear me okay? Can you bump up the volume a little bit so they can hear me? Test one, two. Can you hear me? That's better. All right. You were leaning in, so I figured I appreciate that. All right. So we're going to concentrate on this first three verses and really look at the spiritual condition of uh, the nation of Israel. Is it that speaker that's going that way that needs to go that way? Can y'all reposition that speaker? Just a hair. All right. Cool. All right, let's read the text together. Look at Isaiah 58, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways. Excuse me. As if they were a nation. That did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no that you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. And oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight. And you hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose? A day for a person to humble himself? 
Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then shall you call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness. If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail and your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt and you shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. I want you to focus with me on verses one through three. And when we do this, again, we're going to strive to kind of wrap our minds around the true spiritual condition of the people of Israel, specifically the southern kingdom of Judah, uh, at this moment in time. So start first with what God desires for for Isaiah to do. Notice what he says in verse 1. This prophet Isaiah, who had been called by God in verse 1, was to cry aloud. He was to not hold back. He was to lift up his voice and notice what it was to be like. It was to be like a trumpet. It's interesting. What's God saying to Isaiah? He's saying, don't hide. Don't be timid. Don't be fearful. I want you to speak. I want you to speak boldly. I want you to cry aloud and your voice needs to be the voice like a trumpet. I thought about that, not being a musical person, but I thought about when you hear a trumpet and someone plays a note, there's no hiding that note that's played, is there? Everybody in the house hears somebody play that trumpet. Everybody around your house hears somebody playing that trumpet. And everybody down the street hears somebody going or whatever they're doing. 
Isaiah was to stand up boldly and proclaim loudly and proclaim faithfully the word of God to the people of God. It lets us know a few things. Number one, God had a message for his people. God had a message for his people. Number two, it lets us know that this message was very, very important. That he wanted them to hear it. It shows also the consistency of God's message to his people. If you've read the prophets, if you've read the Bible, if you've read the Old Testament, what we just read was not the first time God ever said that to his people. He has told them the same thing over and over again. He's told them this already in the book of Isaiah, previous to chapter 58. He's told them the exact same thing. It's a consistent message. And I thought about this, Mr. Bill. It also shows that the call for Isaiah's life never changes. Jim, when it comes to missions, our call to missions never changes. Isaiah's unique call was to be a prophet. His unique role was to speak God's truth to God's people, to foretell the truth about God, to foretell the truth about God's ways, to take the Bible and proclaim it, to take God's word to proclaim it and to apply it to the people, to call them to faithfulness, to call them to repentance, to call them to follow God. That was his call. He did this as a young man in Isaiah chapter six. Do you remember that story? where he sees a vision of God, the throne room of God. And in response to the throne room of God, he says, woe is me. I'm of a people of unclean lips. I'm an unclean man. Remember that? And then God says, who's going to go for me? And Isaiah's like, I'll go. And God sends him. In fact, go to chapter one and look at verse one. Let me show you his faithfulness. The Bible lays out for us here. How many different kings he served under as a prophet in verse one? Notice Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Isn't that awesome? You can go back to chapter 58 now. His faithfulness as a young man was the same faithful faithfulness we see him years later as he's proclaiming truth yet again. God's saying, Tom, I don't want you to stop proclaiming. I want you to still proclaim truth. I want you to still tell people what they need to know about me and what I require of them and their need to respond to me in repentance and faith. The call never changes. The call never changes for Isaiah. The call never changes for the Christian. And brothers and sisters, when it comes to our church family, the call never changes to missions. We are called to believe the truth. We are called to hold on to the truth. We are called to proclaim the truth. We are called to share the truth. And we are called to make disciples with this truth. That means we strengthen new believers. We strengthen old believers. And we strengthen believers in between new and old. That means we tell truth to bring people into the faith. That's what this means, that we never stop. And may it be said about us, no, we don't have a king, but we do have presidents. May it be said based on our age, <laughs> I was faithful in the Clinton administration, the Bush administration's times too. 
the Obama administration, the Biden, the Biden administration and the Trump administration, I proclaim the gospel of God faithfully, no matter the president that was in office. Does that make sense? May we be faithful like Isaiah. May we cry aloud. May we not be timid. Not, may we not be scared. May we not hold back. May we trumpet out the truth about God, his ways, his glory, and how sinners can find rest and forgiveness in, in Christ. That's our responsibility. That's our call. Now, specifically for Isaiah, look at what he was to trumpet out, to proclaim. Look back at verse 1. Notice what he is to do. The text says that he is to declare. That word declare, Pastor Jim, means to shed light on. To shed light on. And some of you guys are going to laugh at me and some of you are going to say, yep, I understand. But the older that I am getting, I need more light to see. Right? Somebody, thank you, Mr. Bill. Amen. I'm not alone. It only gets better, I'm sure. I need more light to see. It's crazy. You know what? Spiritually, for us to be able to really see who we are, we need more light. We need the man of God to stand up before the people of God and share the word of God so that more light comes to the empowerment of the spirit so that we can rightly see. Isaiah was called to declare, to show light to the people their true spiritual condition. Look at what it says. Declare, show the light, make it plain what they're really like. Show them their transgressions. That word transgressions means this is an interesting thing. In the Hebrew, it means to defect. It means to defect. Huh. It means that this nation wasn't once where they once were in following God. They have defected in their allegiance from God. He's saying, proclaim that to them. Proclaim to the house of Jacob their sins it's interesting and i thought about this pastor eric our true spiritual condition can often be different than our perception can it not like our true spiritual condition can often be different than our perception like i could have something stuck on my face from breakfast and perceive there's nothing stuck on my face from breakfast but when you look at it you may be like is that a booger or is that like his breakfast? Like, what is that on his face? <laughs> you understand? I can perceive something about myself that's completely different than reality. And so our true condition can be completely different than what's real. That's a scary thought. That should get our attention. If you're not a believer this morning, if you're not in the faith this morning, that should have gotten your attention that you can think that you're OK. The Bible says that there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is death. You can think you're OK and not be OK. You can think you're OK as a Christian. And be drifting. Our true spiritual condition is often different than, our, than reality. We can fool ourselves. We can trick ourselves. 
But praise be to God, this is why we have the Word of God and the Spirit of God living inside of us to show us constantly our true spiritual condition. This is what God is saying to Isaiah. I want you to sound it out like a trumpet. I want you to show the light to them of what they're really like. That they're not really where they think they are. They've actually defected in their allegiance from me. Now look at verse 2. This is interesting. Because this is where they think they are. Verse 2. Yet they seek me daily. Pastor Jim, this word seek. It literally means in the Hebrew... A worn down footpath. Isn't that interesting? It, it, it paints the picture of us. Of somebody that's going. Towards the things of God. As if they've done this so much. That there's a well worn path. If you've ever hiked. You know what I'm talking about. A footpath. If you've ever hunted. You know what I'm talking about. With a game trail. In fact that's what you're looking for. Right? You know what I'm talking about. This these paths or or maybe if you've never hunted or maybe if you've never hiked or maybe you've never seen a footpath then let's think about a rut that a car makes right you drive over the ground long enough our entrance up here and you can see where the cars come in on a regular basis where they're coming and going well-worn traffic what's God saying they are beating down a path to my door I can see where they're coming and going but remember what I just said Though they're coming and going, and though there's a path that's worn out to my to my to the things of me, huh? They've defected. And not only that, but the Bible says in verse two, they delight to know my ways. It means that they're favorable to the things of me. They desire the things of me. Now notice what God says in verse two. They have a well-worn path. They say they're favorable to the things of me as if. Now notice these four things. As if they were a nation that did righteousness. Let's think about that for a minute. Were they really a nation that did righteousness? Were they really? Absolutely not. Why do we know that? Well, the Bible tells us, but also... The consequence of their sin is that the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom at this point had been split. And you can read all about this in 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles to see more of what I'm talking about. As if they were a nation that did righteousness. As if they did not forsake the judgment of their God, which they had done. As if they ask of me righteous judgments. As if they actually truly delighted to draw near to God. Huh. These are the truths about their true spiritual condition. Remember what I said a minute ago? Our true spiritual condition is not often reality. It's our perception. You remember what Stephen had us read a couple of weeks ago from 1 Samuel 16 verse 7? How the Lord sees differently than man sees. We see the outward only, right? But what does God see? He sees the heart. 
He sees why we seek him. He sees why we desire him. He sees why we pretend. He sees why we're fake. He sees when we go through the motions. He sees when we're super spiritual, but our heart's not in it. See? God's different than us. I can fool you. And you can fool me. And we can fool each other. And brothers and sisters, this is an amen and a no me. And I'm not saying we don't need a national day of prayer. But we can have all the national days of prayer that we want. We can make it 365. Right? Every day of every year as a nation. But do we really as a nation mean what we're saying in this national day of prayer? No. I'm not saying every Christian doesn't mean it. I'm just saying in general as a whole. Why? Because could we not say this as an American? Could we not say in verse 2? It's as if God says about us, as if they were a nation that did righteousness, as if they were a people that did, that did not forsake the judgment of God, as if they ask of me righteous judgments, as if... They delight to draw near to God. Have you thought about this on the National Day of Prayer? What God are we actually praying to? It's a facade. It's a farce. It's fake. It's phony. How do I know that? Because we're not genuinely repentant and broken as a people. Amen? It's true. It's the very same thing God is saying to the people. You can beat a footpath to my door all you want to, but when I look at your heart, what I see is something radically different than what you're saying about yourself. Perception is not often reality. Now, in verse 3, that's not all. Look at what else they say. And God has given a right assessment of their spiritual condition. And, and then this is some of the other things that uh, the southern kingdom was saying. Why have you fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Hmm. It's an interesting question. God gives the answer at the end of verse 3. It's easy to read over his answer very quickly. Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. But if you know anything about the Bible, one of the things that you know at least I've taught you over the years, is that whenever you come to the word, behold, what should you do? Should get your attention, right? God, we've worn down a path to you. God, we are seeking your face. God, we have fasted for you. Like we have literally abstained from food and drink and kept all these festivals and all these feast days. We've done all of the things that you wanted us to do. Why are you not listening? And he's like, I'll tell you why. It's a marker of emphasis. It's an emphatic declaration. Behold, look at what he says. In the day of your fast, you seek, depending on your translation that you're reading from, the ESV says you seek your own pleasure. Another translation may say you seek your own business, but either way, it lets us know at the heart level where they really, truly, genuinely doing what they were doing because they loved the Lord. 
And the answer to that would be, would be no. That's what God is saying to them. I want to walk us through a couple of scriptures very quickly. Go to Isaiah chapter 1. And I want to show you their true spiritual condition. Remember what I've been telling you. Our spiritual condition is not only is not always rather reality. Our true spiritual condition is not always reality. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 1 verse 2. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children, I have reared up. This is God talking about the nation of Israel. I have reared up and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. <clears throat> the, not, the ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know. Who do they not know? God. This is a very important theological point here that you need to understand that people miss quite a bit. I'll come back to this in just a second. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Look at what he says. Ah, sinful nation of people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Here's the scary thing. You can do all the outward things that God wants you to do and your heart be miles away from God. You could be drifting as a Christian or still dead as, a, as an unbeliever in your sins. Go to Isaiah chapter 57, please. Look at verse 17. The Bible says there, because of the iniquity of his unjust gain, I was angry. I struck him. I hid my face and was angry. But he went on what? Backsliding in the way of his own heart. Go with me, to please, to Isaiah 56. Let's look at verses 9 through 12. Let's look at the leadership of Israel. Isaiah 56, verse 9. All you beasts of the field come to devour all you beasts in the forest. His watchmen are blind. They are all without knowledge. They are all silent dogs. They cannot bark. Dreaming, lying down, loving to slumber. The dogs have a mighty appetite. They never have enough. But they are shepherds who have no understanding. They have all turned to their own way, each to his own gain, one and all. Come, they say, let me get wine. Let us fill ourselves with strong drink. And tomorrow will be like this day, great beyond measure. Even the priests had lost their way. Sad. Go with me to Isaiah 63, please. Isaiah 63, verse 19. We have become like those 
over whom you have never ruled. Wow. Like those who are not called by your name. Wow. Isaiah 64, 6. Very familiar. Isaiah 64, 6. We have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf. And our iniquities like the wind take us away. So what do we do with all this? This true spiritual condition of Israel. How can I help you understand it? And I thought about this this morning. I guess the easiest way for us to kind of wrap our minds around where the nation of Israel really, really was and what it really looked like was to think of the Pharisees. Right? I mean, think of the Pharisees. Jesus said, it's in the scriptures that you look for. It's in them that you think that they have, that you have life, but they point to me. So my point is, it wasn't as if they didn't read the Bible. It wasn't as if they didn't study the Bible. It wasn't as if they didn't know that the sacrifices were important and they weren't doing the sacrifices. It wasn't as if they didn't know that the feasts were important, the ceremonies were important. All of these other things, the civil law and the moral law and, and, and the sacrificial law, all the things we talked about already in previous weeks, it's... They knew all those things. But what was Jesus' assessment about them? He doesn't have very kind things to say about them. He says, basically, they're unregenerate. Do you remember Nicodemus when he comes to Jesus at night in John 3? Nicodemus is a Pharisee. What does Jesus say to Nicodemus? You must be born again. What does that let us know about his spiritual condition? It didn't matter how much he knew about the law. It didn't matter how much he did. It didn't matter about any of these other religious things. He needed to be born again. That was his, that was his problem. And he was missing the fact that all those things he did were to point him to Jesus. So with that in your mind, because I think we're super familiar with the spiritual condition of the Pharisees. We can back up in time and think about the people in Isaiah 58 that Isaiah is ministering and prophesying to. That's what they were like. They were like the Pharisees. Outward conformity, but inwardly dead. Really important that you understand that that's the case. Now, I alluded to this a minute ago, but I need to circle back around to this. And when you think about the Pharisees day and you think about the nation of Israel during the Pharisees day, the nation of Israel had within its framework both believers and unbelievers, did it not? It did. Oh my goodness, Peter, James, John, Matthew. They were believers. Pharisees. Unbelievers, there was this mix between believer and unbeliever in the nation of Israel. Same was true in Isaiah's day. There would have been believers there. And the way that the Old Testament refers to it is the remnant. It's the remnant that are the believers. It's the remnant are, that are those that are saved. 
And sometimes when we read the Old Testament and we read about this remnant, we think maybe, well, maybe those are the Christians that were really, really, really on fire for God. No. <laughs> those were the Christians. Does that make sense? So when you when you look at Isaiah and you look at Isaiah 58 and you look at some of the things that's going on, you need to understand something important. And I think Isaiah 64, 6 helps us. That their righteous deeds, these things that they were doing, God says about them that they're a filthy rag. It's the unbeliever trying to please God in his flesh. It's the unbeliever doing the things of God, not for the glory of God, not for the love of God, not for the worship of God, but with a motive that's impure. When you look at Isaiah 64, 6, it says that their righteous deeds, the word righteous is pointing us back to the commands of God. They were doing the very things. Did we not read this? They had pure beat a path down to the temple. <laughs> they were doing all these things. But God says, uh-uh, it's dead. It's worthless. It's evil. It's vain. It's sinful. Why? Because their hearts were dead in sin. That's why. Because see, here's the deal with the truth of God. And here's what happens with Isaiah's message. This always happens, Pastor Eric. The genuine believer hears the word of God and they love it, they want it, they receive it, and they grow from it. But the unbeliever rejects it, becomes more hard, more calloused, and moves further and further away from God. And the scary thing is, the scary thing is, our, our perception of our spiritual condition can be completely different than reality. It can. I thought about this, all that Isaiah is really doing in Isaiah 58 and Isaiah 64 and the other passages that I've read is teaching us about depravity. That's all he's doing. He's teaching us about the reality of the sin nature, that we are morally corrupt. As the Puritans would say, in our head and in our hearts. Because it's from our heart that all our attitudes, our actions, and our words, and our motives come from. And depravity also influences our thinking. Which is why the people of Israel could actually worship God and do everything he required and God call it sinful. Do you catch that? It's a theme in this book that they're doing what God said, but he calls it sinful. Why? Because of the corruptness of their nature. They're not able because they're doing it in their flesh. They're not able to do it with the right motive or the right heart because their heart's dead in sin. That's why. And then the depravity of their mind comes into to affect because they actually think it's okay. It's a scary thing. This is why God would tell Isaiah, stand up, be a trumpet, be a herald, proclaim the truth of God loudly because my people need to, to hear it. So, as we enter this May month of missions, what do we do with all of this? 
Well, if you're not in the faith, hear me very carefully that today is the day of salvation. And I'm so grateful that you're at church and I'm so grateful that you're hearing the truth of the gospel and in God's kindness, he's brought you here and in God's kindness, he's calling you to repentance and faith in him. He's calling you to lay down your religious acts. He's calling you to lay down your incorrect self-perception that comes from the moral corruption of our nature. He's saying, lay all that down at my feet. Stop trying to look at yourself through your own lens. Look at yourself through my lens and look to Jesus for life. And the cool thing about that is when we come to God in God's terms, he forgives us. It's awesome. That's good news. That's good news. And if you're in the faith this morning, you are a believer. You are a brother or a sister in Christ. And maybe you have drifted. And maybe you need to return back to God. Or maybe you're faithful. Maybe your walk with God is super faithful. And you're loving Jesus. You're on fire for Christ. Man, that's awesome. Keep going. <laughs> Keep going. Keep going. Let's go back to Isaiah chapter 1. I'm going to read one verse and then I'll pray for us. Go to verse 18. Because I think this applies to the remnant. And I think it applies to those that are not in the faith as well. Here's God's invitation. Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your spirit and how your spirit ministers the word to us. Father, I pray for every heart that's here today. God, I pray for the one that's dead in their sin and their trespasses. They know it's not working for them because it just can't. No matter how good they try to be, they'll never be good enough. And I pray that they'll lay all that down at the feet of King Jesus today. Turn to him for forgiveness and follow him the rest of their lives. And Father, I pray for the believer that's here today, the faithful remnant. God, I pray for them. Father, I pray. God, I pray for renewal and refocus. God, help us to think about where we're truly and genuinely at spiritually in the danger of the deception and deceitfulness of sin that we can often be a place that we're really not. We need your spirit, God, to rescue us and keep us from drifting. So I pray that for all of us today, but for whomever that may be this morning in particular. And then, Father, for the one that's faithful, God, I pray for them to continue on in their faithfulness giving praise and honor and glory to you. God, renew us from the inside out. Help us, try, help us to stop trying to clean ourselves up from the outside in. 
We love you. We praise you. We thank you. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I invite you to stand to your feet as we worship the Lord through song.